Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week, my producer Miranda and I explore the top stories making waves in the news, and some that are just plain interesting. We connect you with the journalists and people who know the story, and bring you news without the noise, so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, we will be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. One of the biggest stories of the week was that of Hurricane Michael. It was the second time in just recent times that the U.S. was subject to two hurricanes. We just got over Florence. Recovery efforts are still going on in the Carolinas. And then Hurricane Michael comes around and hits the Florida Panhandle. I mean, the trail of devastation stretches from there, from the Florida Panhandle, through Georgia, all the way down to the Carolinas again. It's weakened to a tropical storm, but it still triggered flash floods and turned roads into rivers. It wiped out a whole coastal town. Uh, Miranda, what do we know about the latest with Hurricane Michael? Yeah, they're already calling the Category 4 storm historic, and there were at least seven deaths attributed to Michael, including an 11-year-old girl who local officials say was killed when part of a metal carport crashed into her family's mobile home, and that was in Lake Seminole, Georgia, and a 38-year-old man who was killed when a tree fell onto his moving car in Statesville, North Carolina. There's tons of people without power, 1.1 million customers in six states without power. All of this is subject to change. What we did in the beginning of the week as the storm was approaching, we spoke to science editor at Axios, Andrew Friedman. He's a extreme weather expert. We asked him why the storm intensified so quickly. As it was with Florence, it was weakening before it hit. This one, on the other hand, Michael, intensified right before it hit. So we talked to him about why it intensified and why we're seeing more extreme weather events. It was an extraordinary rapid intensification rate. This is something that forecasters have a lot of trouble with. We nailed it with Hurricane Florence. When uh, Florence went through a period of rapid intensification, the computer models caught it ahead of time. With this one, we knew the signs were there, but it seemed to be having a little bit of trouble overcoming two factors. One is some wind shear, which was disrupted some of the storm's core and would block these huge thunderstorms into the atmosphere only to lose the tops of them to these strong winds. And then the other one was a bit of dry air that it had ingested that was disrupting its circulation. At some point on Tuesday night, it suddenly seemed to have come free from the grips of what was holding it back and just went gangbusters for several hours, really transformed itself into a very ugly storm, very beautiful meteorologically speaking, but ugly for Floridians and just kept going. What we normally see are storms that approach the Florida Panhandle and weaken as they near land. This one did the opposite. It was still intensifying as it crossed the beach. The news obviously plays up a lot of these weather events. They have reporters walking in flooded areas and standing in the wind and the rain just to illustrate what's going on so people in other parts of the country know what's going on. There is that, but there is this scientific consensus that extreme weather is on the rise. Why are we seeing more of these big weather events? As we said, with Florence, it was huge and then it was stalling out. It was doing all this crazy stuff. The same thing with this one. It intensified in the last few moments before it made landfall. 
What is going on with all these extreme weather events? We know that we have more extreme weather events that are becoming more intense and more frequent with climate change, plain and simple. That is particularly the case with heat waves and heavy precipitation events. It's not as clear cut with hurricanes. What scientists think is happening and have demonstrated in studies is that they are becoming wetter, meaning they're producing more rainfall on average, and they are either already getting stronger or expected to see more high-end hurricanes. So you might have fewer hurricanes in a season, but a bigger percentage of them is going to be a Cat 4 or Cat 5. Now, that matters a lot because it's the Cat 4, Cat 5 storms that cause most of the damage. With both Florence and with the current storm, you had both storms go through periods of rapid intensification. That means that it intensified by about 35 miles an hour or greater in 24 hours. This far exceeded that baseline definition. What we think we may, and I say we, meaning the climate community, and as somebody who covers the community, I sometimes say we, but really, it's the scientists who are doing the work. And they're saying to me, we think we might be seeing a trend towards more frequent rapid intensification. That's a real forecast challenge, because if that's going to be happening more frequently, you could go to sleep thinking you're going to get hit by a Category 1 and wake up to be hit by a Category 4. The real nightmare with this storm. Andrew Friedman, science editor for Axios Extreme Weather Expert. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. One of the other huge stories of the week was just this surreal moment in the Trump administration when rapper Kanye West went to the Oval Office. He had a meeting with the president and in true Kanye fashion, he just had this stream of consciousness rant. It provided a lot of laughs, a lot of question marks. Nobody knew what he was going for sometimes. Miranda, you're a big fan of Kanye. Yes. What did you think of it? I have not yet brought myself to watch the full video right. because I still want to continue being a fan of Kanye, <laughs> but he's made it very challenging because I don't often agree with President Trump. He talked about the hat and how it was a Superman cape for him. We actually have a little portion of that. Let's play Kanye at the Oval Office. Uh, I think it's the bravery that helps you beat this game called life. You know, they tried to scare me to not wear this hat, my own friends. But this hat, it gives me, it gives me power in a way. It was something about when I put this hat on, it made me feel like Superman. You made a Superman, that was, that's my favorite superhero. And you made a Superman cake. For me also as a guy that looks up to you, looks up to Rapperin, looks up to American industry guys. Non-political, no bullshit. Put the beep on it, however you want to do it, five seconds delay, and just goes in and gets it done. The president just smiling politely at the end. He said, hey, you know what? That was very impressive. And, you know, Kanye feels like uh, President Trump is a kindred spirit to him almost. He feels like he's the same type of guy who's criticized a lot, but capable of doing great things. We spoke to Olivia Nuzzi. She's a Washington correspondent for New York Magazine. She was in the Oval Office when Kanye was there with the president, so we spoke to her about her impressions of that. And then she was also part of a bigger story that happened earlier in the week. She had a private press conference with the president, Mike Pence, Mike Pompeo, Chief of Staff John Kelly, and that also was another surreal moment. It was the closest thing you'd ever get to being a fly on the wall. But we started off with the whole Kanye story 
and asking why he was there in the first place. Well, ostensibly, he was there to talk about criminal justice reform. Remember, his wife, Kim Kardashian West, influenced the president back in early June to commute the sentence for a woman who had been in prison since like 1996 on a drug charge. And the president did that, and he got a lot of positive press for that. It it was kind of one of these rare, non-controversial, good things that he did. And I think that he is susceptible to flattery and and wants good press. And that's (laughs) probably cynically part of why he wants to continue doing this sort of thing. And his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who is the top White House advisor, has made criminal justice reforms one of his central issues. And so it was reported earlier this week that Kanye West would be coming in to speak to the president. And that was like the main topic that they were supposed to be covering. But of course, Kanye has been out there very controversially, very openly supporting Donald Trump over the last month and was recently on SNL wearing a Make America Great Again hat. He's been wearing it everywhere and he was wearing it today. And it was really funny in the Oval Office. I just kept thinking... This is so unusual because, A, Donald Trump is not the most puzzling figure sitting in here in the Oval Office today. And he was <laughs> right. not the most talkative person in the Oval Office. It was sort of a monologue from Kanye West. He was also not the one wearing the Make America Great Again hat. So it was very weird. It was so interesting watching the video because the president's sitting behind the desk and he has his hands clasped and he's just looking at Kanye go off. Yeah. The president was just like quietly nodding his head. Like you said, he wasn't was really the, strange. Yeah, he yeah. wasn't the most outlandish character in there. Kanye just went off and it was yeah. very much like the SNL thing or rants of past where it's stream of consciousness and he's just going on and he's sort of out. Trump, yeah. Trump. And I mean, the president speaks that way too, though, where he speaks in the stream of consciousness. He touches on all different topics. I mean, I had, as you mentioned before, firsthand experience with this earlier this week <laughs> yeah. in the Oval Office, but I had a better view of the president where I was standing in the Oval than I did of Kanye, but I, I could see them both. And it was just so interesting to watch how the president was just completely dazzled and confused at the same time <laughs> by what was happening. And he was silent. I mean, he is yeah. Almost never silent. He chimed in um, only a couple times in yeah. that, you know, it was about 10 minutes. He spoke initially when I first walked in, he was speaking. He was saying that the ex-NFL player who was there along with Kanye was actually a better lacrosse player. I don't know anything about sports and I don't <laughs> have any idea if that's true or not. And then he started talking a bit about what he considers his accomplishments. And he talked about North Korea. And I, I wrote it down because it was so funny. But when the president spoke about North Korea, Kanye was responded he said quote i like the north korea (laughs) (laughs) oh man it's like okay i don't know i not i think maybe he meant like he liked the policy on north korea but it it is a funny quote but But then yeah it's pretty much all kanye yeah and as you mentioned you know he was wearing that uh, make america great again hat you know he mentioned that specifically he said that donald trump gave him the power you know he made him feel like superman it was that superman cape that he had he talked about that he talked about his own mental health saying i'm not bipolar i got a another doctor to see me or something. He even brought out his phone. We know his passcode now, 0000. (laughs) And he said, you know, can we get rid of the Air Force One? We want to do this iPlane one. Uh, You know, I I think some people say, oh, is the president 
exploiting a mentally ill person after after Kanye disclosed that about himself in the Oval Office. And I think that's just sort of bullshit. Mentally ill people, people who have mental illnesses, it doesn't mean that they're not autonomous human beings and that they can't make their own right. decisions and that they should be babysat or, or treated as though they are not intelligent. You know, I think there's just simplistic, reductive way to talk about mental illness. And I saw that narrative taking off a little bit after that meeting, and I found it really troubling. Totally disagree with that also. I mean, as crazy as Kanye can be at times, he is a very smart man. He knows what he's doing in a sense. He's very conscious of himself and his kind of role in popular culture. I don't think he's being taken advantage of in the slightest. We are making this kind of assessment from such a distance that I think it's irresponsible to to take any kind of guess about what his true state of mind is. And I, I just wanted to make sure we, we talked about that. Yeah. But yeah, overall, it was extraordinarily bizarre. And even the president seemed to agree that it was bizarre, which is really saying something. At the, at the <laughs> end, when Kanye wrapped up the president, you can just feel the relief that he's done. Even he says... I'll tell you what, that was pretty impressive. That was quite <laughs> something. And you know, everybody, jealous. Yeah, everybody's on board with that same thing. So, you know, that's Kanye at the White House. Always a good spectacle. Let's move on to the next big piece of news that you had. This impromptu solo press conference with all the major players. The president, Mike Pence, John Kelly, Mike Pompeo, Sarah Huckabee Sanders was in there. He gave you like a pamphlet with all sorts of accomplishments yeah. that they had done. It seemed like he was pushing you to write a positive piece about what's going on and how there is no chaos in the administration. Yeah, it, I mean, again, it was one of these just highly, highly unusual, unexpected occurrences. I was in the White House on Tuesday morning for a series of meetings and interviews for the story I was working on about John Kelly, the chief of staff. And as I was leaving, I saw I had a missed phone call and it was from Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She asked me to come back to her office. And that's when she told me that the president wanted to see me. And we went back there and he really like pulled out all the stops trying to yeah. convince me that things are going great and everyone loves each other. And one after the other, these very high ranking officials in our government started to come in. There was Mike Pence, John Kelly himself. There was Mike Pompeo, the chief of the uh, secretary of state, though, in fairness, he was scheduled to have a lunch with the president on his public schedule. So I think he was confused as I was during this whole thing. I love the introduction, though, when John Kelly came by and the president is just like, this is Olivia. She's going to say very, very wonderful things about you, you know, just setting that stage one by one as people crept up in the conversation. They magically appeared behind you. It did seem like they had a lunch meeting, but every time somebody was mentioned, boom, there they were right behind you, ready well, there to, was, there to was say something. There was a lunch something. meeting, certainly with Mike Pompeo and the president, but the people in the room that were coming in, John Kelly and Mike Pence and Mike Pence's chief of staff, Nick Ayers, were related to my story. They were related to my reporting, and the president was asking them to weigh in to dispute various things that I, various questions I was taking to the White House earlier that day that I suppose were related to him. And he kept commenting, the president, I don't know if I would have thought that it was a setup if the president had not consistently commented, this isn't set up. <laughs> right. um, yeah. And he kept saying, you know, look, oh, I'm so happy we could all be here. We didn't plan this. Uh, how amazing is that? And, you know, I'm not like a detective, but when someone says that over and over, it kind of seems like a setup. I have two more questions about this surreal experience. One, did you notice any type of chaos. As you said, it's, at times it seemed like this was kind of coordinated almost. 
Um, and, you know, his interactions with Chief of Staff John Kelly and all the other players in there. Did you get a sense of there's some craziness going on or did everybody just seem to get along? It was so forced. At the end, as I was walking out, Chief of Staff John Kelly and Nick Ayers, somebody who I was reporting on because I had heard that he was a possible replacement for John Kelly and had been offered John Kelly's job, they hugged each other and they called out to me and I turned around to see them hugging and they were smiling and they were like, they basically, I think John Kelly said, this is my friend. And uh, Nick Ayers said, and he's mine. I would never imagine General John Kelly hugging another guy like that, saying, you know, know. making the display, hey, we're buddies, you know, that's so comical. I mean, it was just so theatrical and strange, but I, it was so awkward. And anytime I think you have an outsider, like a reporter, in the mix, it's probably, you know, a yeah. bit of a performance. But in this case, it really, really felt like a performance. And yeah. Everybody's the on their best behavior at that point. Yeah, and everyone was so deferential to the president, which I suppose you could expect with any president. But the way that it works with Trump is probably different. I mean, he asked John Kelly, he said, what do you think of the president in, in the third person? And uh, <laughs> John Kelly said, he's like, very great or something like that, you know, <laughs> as if he wasn't just speaking to the president. Right. It, it was weird. It was just weird. The whole thing was weird. And the, and the last question I have for you, because we spoke about Kanye and kind of the stream of consciousness thing and just kind of how he's all over the place. The president in speeches and everything, I mean, at rallies, he displays some of those same type of things. So how is it sitting in the room trying to ask him questions and him just interrupting, jumping all over the place? How do you wrap your head around that? In real time, I didn't find it to be difficult. But when I was confronted with how do I convey this to a reader? I just thought it would almost be a misrepresentation to try to condense any of his quotes and make them easier to digest or more focused because that's just not how he talks. He does not yeah. speak in a clear and concise way. And I think if he is ever taken out of context, and I don't mean that as like an insult to reporters, the way that people say taken out of context, but anytime that his quotes are chopped up so that they can be clearer, I mm-hmm. think it's kind of inaccurate in a way. And I thought it was very interesting. I was on um, CNN last night and a Republican operative who was on with me on the air, she said that she had uh, been at dinner earlier that night and somebody who was in my piece, but she wouldn't say who, but it's a small group of people. She bumped into him at dinner and he said that the White House was really pleased with my piece and they really liked it and they thought it was very fair and quote the opposite of fake news yeah no and i, I did, thought that I was did so interesting that. because it's it's not the nicest piece in the world but i think that trump is probably satisfied to see his quotations printed in full i think he, with the times that he feels the press is being unfair is probably a lot of the time when his quote is chopped up and try people try to interpret what he's saying right. rather than just putting it out there. And so I'm sure people are going to give me some shit about printing a full transcript, basically, of what he said. But I think that's just the only way to really understand what he was saying. I agree with you completely. The article is great. It's the closest thing to being a fly on the wall in the room Thank you. Uh, to to just kind of see what's going on, you know. And, and as you say, at times it might have seemed like a production or whatever, but you know, that's the way it seems like it goes in there. And, and I, I love the way you wrote it out piece oh, by piece as it happened chronologically, as you said, the times he interrupted you, it was just amazing. So I, a great job on that piece. And, you know, 
I, it's just great that you were able to be there for these two big moments uh, just that just happened you. this week. Uh, Olivia Nutzi, Washington correspondent for New York Magazine. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. Don't forget to join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition.